This week we're going to be looking at uh, Jesus' compassion towards someone in a real desperate need. So why don't you read with me again from Mark chapter 1, verse 40 to 45, and I'm going to pray for us. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses has commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we thank you for grace. We thank you for grace that empowers and grace that washes us clean. Lord, as we open up your word and look at your beautiful son, Jesus. Lord, I just pray, Lord, give me grace to be able to preach your word faithfully. Help us to get a glimpse of Jesus so that we might be, we might be encouraged and strengthened and find his cleansing grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we begin this morning by looking at an article I found uh, this morning, or not this morning, this week, sorry. It's from The Guardian in the UK, and it's entitled Living with HIV. Steve Craftsman, 58, writes, There are three epidemics, in my view. The newly diagnosed who are going to lead pretty normal lives, those who recovered from the early days, the 80s and 90s, and then there are the people like me who survived but with a lot of problems. Back then, they gave us five years at the most. I made it through, but I've got many health problems, mainly due to the medication I took. I have osteopenia, the stage before osteoporosis, in my ankles and hips, which means I feel unsafe running a motorbike now. The damage to my body is no one's fault. The doctors didn't know what they were dealing with, and the drugs were so strong. You could say that I fell out of the side effect tree and hit every branch on the way down. I've done a lot of grieving, lost a lot of friends and lovers. It's not easy, and it's often lonely. In America, they've come up with a name for it, AIDS Survivor Syndrome. It's a bit like PTSD. I'm still here, though, nearly 30 years on. Am I tough? Not really. I think I've just been lucky. I've had my fair share of prejudice over the years. I was living in Bristol 10 years ago with my partner, John. We had abuse and threats shouted at us, and our car was vandalized. 
The police advised us not to pursue it. They said we'd be better off moving on. We set up home in a tiny village in Wales where we were more accepted than in the city. John died there from AIDS in 2007. I'm open about my situation. At a hospital appointment recently, the doctor asked if I was out about the fact that I have AIDS. I turned around and showed her the biohazard symbol I had tattooed on the back of my neck last year. I'm guessing that's a yes then, she said. There is something incredibly heartbreaking about Steve's story, isn't there? I mean, as I was reading this this week, I just, I just felt the pain and loss and grief and exclusion. And there's something really powerful about that tattoo, a biohazard symbol on the back of this man's neck. Something that I think summarizes the way this man feels about himself that he is a walking risk, a hazard, a hazard to other people. Well, friends, this morning the truth is that there is a kind of defilement that we too can experience. We may not have a physical disease, but we can feel as though biohazard is tattooed on the back of our necks. Maybe for you it's uh, sexual history, things that you've done in the past that you are deeply ashamed of. Maybe for you it's abuse that you have suffered or experienced, maybe physical or verbal abuse at the hands of someone that you loved and trusted and so you feel defiled. Maybe for you, it's a failed, broken relationship that leaves you with these feelings of guilt and shame. Maybe, maybe it's an abortion. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's repeated lashings out on your children or your spouse that leaves you feeling deeply ashamed. Maybe for you, it's a secret addiction something that nobody knows about, maybe to alcohol or pornography. We too can feel defiled. We too can feel unclean. And if that's you, I just think Jesus has a powerful message for us this morning. A powerful message. This morning I've entitled this message, Purifying Grace. And I have three points, and my three points this morning, they're really aspects of Jesus' character that we find in this passage. But one main point that I'm going to be plugging away on, and that is that the broken and defiled can find complete cleansing at the feet of Jesus. That's what I think Mark is teaching us this morning from his gospel, that those that are broken, those that are defiled, at the feet of Jesus, find complete cleansing. Well, let's get stuck in and look at uh, point one, which is his compassion. That's the first thing I think we learn about Jesus. You know, just by way of context, there's 
as I mentioned before, been this amazing 24-hour period where Jesus has been healing the sick and the demon-possessed, and he's been swarmed by crowds of people that are coming to see Jesus from everywhere. So much so that Jesus has to kind of like sneakily get out and disappear to quietly pray, such as the crowds. So why don't we begin by reading that very first verse at the beginning, verse 40. And a leper came to him. A leper came to him. This word in Greek, lepra, it actually refers to a variety of diseases in the Old Testament. It's not necessarily just modern leprosy that we might think, or Hansen's disease, where you lose sensation and, and as a result you damage your skin and it begins to get infected and eventually dies. But it's actually much broader than that. It, in fact, is referring to, in the Old Testament, any disease that causes the flesh to rot. And uh, I hope that this morning no one's feeling particularly queasy because I want to get you stuck right in to get a picture of what we're talking about here in Leviticus chapter 13. Um, I'm going to read, first of all, from Leviticus chapter 13, verse 3, and hopefully it's up on the screen uh, for you guys. Read this, Leviticus chapter 13. And the priest shall examine the diseased area of the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. And again, verse 14, But when raw flesh appears on him, he shall be unclean. And the priest shall examine the raw flesh and pronounce him unclean. Raw flesh is unclean, for it is a leprous disease. The point here is disease that has eaten entirely through the skin, causing what is underneath to be exposed. That is leprosy in the Old Testament. And it, in fact, only applies to conditions that are getting worse and worse and worse. It's rotting, exposed skin. Well, what's this all about? It's not mainly about hygiene, but in the Old Testament, it's about the spiritual idea of death, of dying. Let me read uh, again from chapter 13, this time uh, verse 45 through to 46, and this is powerful, and you just can't help but feel the the pain involved in this. Um, It says here in Leviticus 13, 45, the leprous person who has the disease, shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. Hear this. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. It's this powerful and moving image of isolation and, and, and death and despair. But what's it all about, these last two verses that I read? These last two verses are, interestingly, the same instructions that Moses will give later on in the book to those who are mourning the dead. And so people with leprosy, with flesh that is rotting, with flesh that is on the outside, resembling death itself, are instructed to live as though they're mourning the dead. 
to behave as though that are mourning those that have died because it's like they're living covered in death. More than that, they're unclean. And because they're unclean, they live in the presence of the people of the God of life. They're excluded. They're cast out from the presence of God and from all of life. And the result is this picture of people living, wearing torn clothes, wearing rags, with their hair left unkempt, is the instruction. Living all by themselves, outside of where the rest of people would live. Forced to cry out, unclean, unclean, meaning keep your distance, warning, biohazard, stay away. Likely to remain unclean for the rest of their lives. You see, the only healings of people with leprosy, leprous diseases in the Old Testament were miraculous. You know, in the Old Testament and in ancient times, to be diagnosed with leprosy was it's a death sentence. It's one of the most feared and horrible ways to die. Slowly, your flesh rotting away. Separated from family, separated from friends, unable to work, dependent on charity, forbidden from worship, dying a slow and painful death entirely alone. It's, it's, a, it's a tragic picture. Absolutely excluded. It's, it's heartbreaking to imagine someone walking through a situation like this and yet we see this man a leper. Now listen how he comes to Jesus. Verse 40. A leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. It's such a powerful image, isn't it? This man is desperate. He's on his hands and his knees. He's dying. He's poor and he's in pain, and he's all alone. And he's on his hands and his knees, and he's begging Jesus. He's begging him. He's saying, if you will, you can make me clean. Note what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, Jesus, if you will, you can heal me. And he's asking for something more than that, than just simply being healed. He's after cleansing. He's after washing He's after being welcomed back into God's people. Now, how would you expect the King of Kings to react when an unclean man draws near to him? How would you expect him to react when drawing near to Jesus was actually breaking the law? When touching him would mean becoming defiled or even catching his disease. Does he turn away in disgust? Does he mock him? Does he ask his disciples to remove him and get rid of him? Let's see what he says. Verse 41. He was moved with pity. Moved with compassion. Jesus looks at this man and he's literally gut-wrenched. His heart breaks for this man. 
he looks at this, this man and he's, he's, he's moved, he's affected. It's just one man and it's a poor man at that. And he comes before the King of Kings, God the Son, God himself, and God himself is moved by him. I just want to say, you know, if there's anyone here who is feeling defiled, who inside of you you feel unclean, ashamed, broken, embarrassed, I'm I'm just praying that you would see this. Jesus is the most compassionate of kings. There's, there's, there's no one like Jesus. Don't be afraid to come to him. He was moved by this poor, wretched man, and he will be moved by you. Well, the first thing our passage shows us is Jesus' compassion towards those that are defiled. But that's not the only thing we see about Jesus in our passage. We also see his point to cleansing power. His cleansing power. You know, it would be no good to us if Jesus was merely full of compassion but could do nothing to help us. And I think what we are about to witness in this passage is, is just truly amazing, is mind-blowing, is, is, is staggering. You see, before we read on, I want us to pause and think about who Jesus is. You know, the Bible teaches us that Jesus is part of our triune God, our beautiful God that is three persons in one. That's what triune means, trinity, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Word teaches us that even before there was anything, there was a Father who loved His Son by His Spirit in perfect unity together, enjoying each other's presence. And this God of ours created everything that we see. You know, we live in a galaxy with hundreds of billions of stars, every one of which created by God through His Son. We live in a world full of intricate complexity, all of which has been created by the breath out of his mouth. An amazing God. More than that, everything that we experience of life in this moment is upheld by him. He sustains all that exists. Everything exists and has its being in and through the hand of our God. And here we have this poor leper in this moment, kneeling before his maker. Kneeling before the one who created him. This poor, defiled man. Let's read on, verse 41. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand And touched him. He stretched out his hand and he touches this man. And we can so quickly move on from this. We can so quickly move on. God the Son 
touches an unclean man. Just imagine with me for a moment cutting your finger. Cutting your finger and then placing that cut finger in the open wound of a person with HIV. I mean, just the thought of it makes you cringe, doesn't it? The thought of exposing yourself to disease and defilement in that way just makes you cringe, makes something in you feel just so uncomfortable. And yet, that is what we are seeing precisely in this moment. God the Son exposing himself to infection, to death, to defilement, to exclusion. You know, in the Old Testament law, by definition, Jesus would have been defiled, unclean. And yet, what is the result? Read on, verse 41. He touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Just simply two words Jesus gives to this man in Greek. I will be cleansed. And he is immediately healed. Although the passage doesn't say that he was healed, although he was, it says something even greater. He was cleansed. He was washed clean. He was purified in that moment by the touch of Christ. You know, I work uh, two days a week in a, in a hospital and, and uh, we deal with these superbugs that we see all the time, increasingly, an epidemic that's that's spreading through hospitals, superbugs, bugs that are resistant to antibiotics. And one such bug is called MRSA, Menthicillin-Resistant Staphylococcus aurorus, or a fancy way of saying antibiotic-resistant golden staph. It's a superbug. And so when someone has MRSA, the protocol in hospital is gown and glove, which means you put on a plastic gown and you put on gloves even before you enter into their room, lest you touch something of theirs that has this bug and spread this bug throughout the hospital. You know, coming to mind is one such patient of mine who is in hospital. He is a man in his early 80s who has one of these superbugs in his legs, and the ulcers and infection has spread so much that the doctors decided that the only way to save his life is to amputate both of his legs. And this man in his 80s decided that he could not face going through something like that. And so he decided that he would rather wait it out and die. And so as we're meeting together in this moment, sits this patient of mine in hospital, waiting to die from this superbug. Now just imagine the scene the touch of Christ, and this man is completely healed. I mean, it's amazing. It's unfathomable, but it's, it's more than just simple healing. It's more than that. He's cleansed. This man who was once excluded, 
now included. This man who's dying healed. This man who's alone welcomes back into the family of God. This man who was once dirty and defiled is made clean with a simple touch. Well, what is this all about? Like, why has Mark placed this account here for us? I think Mark wants us to see a really important aspect of what Jesus has come to do. You see, these miracles are signs. They're signposts to us. They're pointing to something about Jesus and his ministry. And as a leper, we see this man is visibly picturing something about you and me. You see, the Bible tells us a story, and it tells us a story about our defilement. It all begins in a garden. And back in this garden, in Genesis, we see God in Genesis 1 and 2 creating the world and everything that's in it. And he creates the world and he creates men and women and he places Adam and Eve inside this garden. And in chapter 225, it says that they were naked and they were not ashamed. There was no shame. There was no defilement. And yet in chapter 3, we see Adam and Eve turning their backs on God, rejecting God. And the result is in chapter 3, Adam hears God walking through the garden. And what does he do? It says he was ashamed because of his nakedness and he hides. He hides himself away. And God finds Adam and and says, what have you done? And in chapter 3, verse 21, he clothes Adam and Eve and he casts them out of the garden throws them out of Eden. We see in Genesis hearts of Adam and Eve rejecting God with the result of shame, defilement, and exclusion from God and one another. We don't just stay as a garden. It moves to a nation. You see, further on in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 12, God speaks to this old pagan man and his name's Abram or he will become Abraham. And he says, Abram, even though you're really old, I'm going to make you into a, a, a mighty nation. I'm going to bless the whole, whole of the earth through you and you're going to be a special people. You're going to be belonging to me. You're going to be different from all the pagan nations around you and you're going to be like this light shining in the world that's going to point to people, people to me. And about 400 years later, he He uh, gives to Moses, ancestor of Abraham, he gives him the law. But not only does he give him the Ten Commandments, he gives him all these laws about food and about dress and about worship and about sacrifice. And the point is, is to make this people, this physical nation, and to show how they're different from all the people around. They're special, they're privileged, they belong to God. They're not like everyone else. And it includes laws about dealing with people who are defiled, about dealing with people who have eaten the wrong foods, or about touching the dead, and about, about defilement due to skin disease. And this is how people would live for nearly 1,500 years, constantly making a mess of things, constantly not being the nation they were meant to be. But God doesn't leave people that way. No, here we are now with a king. Not just the garden turning into a nation, but now a king. Our king, Jesus. God's solution to our mess. And Jesus, here in Mark's gospel, right in the middle, reminds people that, like we saw back in the garden, the real problem is not keeping laws. 
The real problem is unclean hearts. You know, in Mark chapter 7, Jesus is answering the Pharisees who have been questioning him about washing hands and ritualistic washing of hands before eating. And Jesus says this. He says, he called, and he called the people to him again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and they said to him, Then are you also, and he said to them, And then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not into his heart, but into his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, that's Jesus, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, Coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Finally, our king comes, and Jesus says, Guys, it's not about what you eat. It's not about what you wear. It's not about hand washing or whether you have a disease that makes you defiled. No, the real problem is with your heart. It's a heart problem, and it's a problem we all have. And you might be sitting here this morning and you think, you know what, Brendan, like, I, I think you got me all wrong. Like, I don't feel unclean. Jesus looks at you, I think, and he would say to you, well, how's your heart? Is it clean? You see, things like looking at porn or lying or sexual immorality, that's just fruit. The root is the heart. The heart, it's the inner you. It's the you when no one's watching. It's the innermost thoughts and feelings that you have, your heart. A heart that is unclean. And it's a problem that we all have, and the result is separation from God. Well, let's get back to the question we were asking. Why is this passage here, Brendan? Like, like, why is this here? Like, why has Mark placed this passage here? And I think it is to show us Jesus' power to make us clean. You see, this leper is defiled. His rotting skin is, is wasting away. He's covered in death. And his rotting flesh, what he has on the outside is a picture of our hearts. And Jesus shows us his amazing compassion as he allows him to draw near and he touches him. And in an instant, he cleanses him. And suddenly in this moment, he ushers in a new age where cleansing is no longer in following the law, but in the very touch of Christ. Where cleansing and wholeness from defilement where inclusion into the family of God and his people is now found not in following the law, but in the touch of Christ, in Christ himself. Well, that's my second point. We learn about his cleansing power. 
Well, third and finally, we don't just learn about his cleansing power. We also learn about his calling. You see, Jesus has the power to cleanse. But the question is, how do we receive it? I want to keep reading from our passage, uh, chapter 1, verse 42 to 43. Let's keep reading. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone But go and show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses has commanded for a proof to them. Jesus comes to this man after cleansing him and he gives him this impassioned plea. Jesus says to him, don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest. It seems so weird, like unusual. Like, why Jesus? Like, why would you... Not encourage this man to tell everyone. Like, why not say, okay, you know, now you've been cleansed. Let everyone know about me and what I've done. Like, why tell this man to keep it a secret? Why does Jesus warn this man to say nothing at all? Well, I think there's two reasons that we see in Mark's gospel as to why. The first is that people just, they repeatedly miss who he is and just see the miracles. In chapters 3 and 6, we see Jesus being absolutely mobbed by the crowds after miracles. They just come to him so much so that he can't even eat like outside at all. He has to go and hide just to try and sneak a bite because people are just coming to him for every, from everywhere. They're constantly swarming him, but they miss who he is. They're just there for the miracles. They see Jesus as just this miracle worker who can maybe offer them something. And they completely miss who he really is and what his mission really is. And so Jesus warns them, warns this man not to tell anyone. But secondly, and related to that first point, is he warns them because of his mission, because of his calling, which is to live as the suffering servant and to die on the cross you see, in chapter 8, Jesus sits down with his disciples and, and he says to them, he says, who do you think I am? And Peter answers him and he says, well, you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. And what comes next is Jesus looks at Peter and his disciples and again, he sternly warns them. Don't tell anyone. And after sternly warning them not to tell anyone, he immediately teaches them that he has come to die. He has come to lay down his life for many. This is Jesus' calling. This is what he has come to do. This is his purpose and his plan. Born to die. You see... Jesus was defiled that we might be cleansed. 
you know, moving through Mark's gospel, it would come that all of Jesus' disciples would abandon him and reject him, would claim not even to know him. He would be arrested and beaten, spat upon, beard plucked, mocked, mock trial where he is shamed even more, and then cruelly nailed to a cross, hanging from a tree. And as it's written in the Old Testament, whoever hangs on a tree is cursed by God, is defiled by God, is abandoned by God. And on that tree, as he hangs and suffers in agony, as he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is defiled for us. He bears the curse we deserve. And by his wounds we are healed. By his blood we are washed clean. Washed spotless by Jesus. I just want to address this morning those that are sitting here and, and you, feel like, you feel like damaged goods. Like you feel like if only you were to know what I've been through and what I've done, like you would see that, man, I'm, I'm defiled, I'm damaged property. I want you to see the, the cleansing power of Jesus' cross the cleansing power of what he came to do. I just felt to read this morning, you know, just as I was preparing, um, a couple of verses from 1 Corinthians, and I got them up on the screen. And the context, Paul is speaking to these baby Christians, this baby Christian church, and he says to them, well, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul speaks to this church that's full of people that have made a mess of their lives. There's people there that have been practicing homosexuality. There's people there that have been sexually immoral, cheating on husbands and wives who have been sleeping around, who are swindlers, tax cheats and frauds. And Paul looks at them and says, because of the cross... You've been washed. You've been cleansed. More than that, he's going to go on to say later in the chapter, chapter 6, about how now the temples of God himself, how God by his spirit now dwells in them. They join to Jesus in this powerful new way. Join to a new family with all the believers from all the ages. Washed clean. You know, Paul Tripp says it so well. He has this great quote. It says, The gospel declares that there is nothing that could ever be uncovered about you and me that hasn't already been covered by the grace of Jesus. Isn't that so beautiful? 
There is nothing hidden and secret in your life that uncovered is not covered by what Jesus has done. His power is mighty. He is powerful to cleanse. His blood is able to wash us completely clean. And the leper sees this and he falls at his feet and in faith receives cleansing. You know, for some of us here, I think we'd like to believe that actually we can rescue ourselves from the mess we're in just by doing better. You know, if, if I just do better as a husband, then I'll get out of this mess I'm in. If I do better as a worker at work or if I'm kinder or if I pray more, if I study harder, if I get a better job, if I work out more, if I just live better, then I'll get out of the mess that I'm in. And when we speak this way, we're just like Peter when Jesus comes to Peter and kneels at his feet to wash his feet. Jesus looks at Peter and Peter says to him, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus answers him. He says this, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. If I do not wash you, Peter, you can have no part with me. You see, the truth is we all need washing. We all need to be cleansed. Now, passage is this picture of how we receive the cleansing of Christ. What God requires of us. He wants us to see that just like this man, we're lepers. We're dying. We're defiled, except our defilement isn't on the outside, it's in our hearts. And just like this leper, we're to fall at his feet and plead for cleansing. To ask him to wash us clean. It's faith. It's humble trust in him. And the truth is we can't receive that cleansing when we believe that we're clean. You know, Winston Smith uh, puts it this way. He says, We must acknowledge just how fouled we've become. We trod through a fallen world. We tramped through the mess of our own sin. And we've been smeared by the sinful deeds of others. We are rebellious. We are wounded. We are proud. We are ashamed. We need all of it washed away. Jesus insists that we accept him as the God who kneels before us in love and humility to cleanse, forgive, and restore us. Isn't that beautiful? We all come before a saviour, needing cleansing from him. And what's the result of this cleansing? This guy is like ecstatic. He is like over the moon and Jesus warns him so sternly like, don't tell anyone about what I've done for you and he just can't hold it in. Like he's out there and he's telling everyone about it and as a result, Jesus is mobbed by people. Um, But it's such a beautiful picture of the, the result of having a life that's cleansed. You know, and that's my prayer with introducing Jesus, you know, this, these coming weeks. You know, pray for us. Like, 
We want to see even one person affected in that way by the cleansing of Jesus. Even just one would be enough. Like we, we, we long to see people meet Jesus and receive the cleansing that he offers us to be changed and, and to witness the power of his calling, the power of the cross, the power that, that washes clean the filthiest of wretches like me. You know, like it just really made me cry this week, just thinking about this story of this HIV sufferer, Steve Craftsman. Like I, I was just crying, like thinking about him. You know, this man who sees himself as a biohazard, who sees himself as a danger to other people. Like there's something in my heart that just like longs for him to know that the love of Jesus, the cleansing power of Jesus that calls us in. And our passage shows us Jesus' calling to the cross, a calling which makes it possible for anyone to be washed clean. Well, whether you come this morning as someone who's long felt that you are broken and defiled, unclean, or whether you come this morning as someone who's just come to realize it, that you are, in fact, broken this morning. I think Mark has a message to all of us, and it's a message of purifying grace. May we come and fall at the feet of our King. He is compassionate, and He alone has the power to wash us clean. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we want to thank you for your cleansing power. We want to thank you for the power that you have just to wash us completely clean. Lord, how good is it to know that even if our lives are like stained garments, like covered with the wrong things that we've done, your blood is powerful to wash us whiter than snow. Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that you have made a way for us. Lord, we just pray this morning for anyone who maybe has never asked the Lord to wash them clean and is here with us this morning. Lord, I just pray. I pray that you would just help that person or those people just to draw near to you and see that that you do invite them in, that you are compassionate and that they can fall at your feet and, and find cleansing, find hope. Oh, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.